0: All riding right, is coming, oh we got
1: Amanda Sampson, and you're listening to What She Said Right Here on 105.9 The Region. Thanks for joining us today. Amber's nervous. Why? I
0: am. Yes, you've always surprised me with something, and I, I feel like I have to be ready. I have to get, be prepared. Look, I can't even speak! I have to be prepared. I'm ready.
1: I'm, I'm telling you, you're, this week is kind of fun. Okay, It's
0: always kind of fun.
1: You know when you go to McDonald's? Yes. And you leave the bag in the car, and then you come out and your car smells like... Like fries yeah. and Big Macs, and so, how would you like to have that scent whenever you want it?
0: I would be hungry all the time,
1: right? Because McDonald's is selling candles that
0: smell like a quarter pounder. Would that be the same smell as a Big Mac? Um,
1: I don't know, but it is a uh, candles that smell like beef. Beef. One's beef. One's cheese. What? Onion. I can't even imagine what an onion candle smells like. But what about the cheese candle? Pickles, ketchup, and a sesame seed bun. So I don't know if you have to burn them all together to get the, the full effect or like what it would smell like one at a time. I think so.
0: I think uh, you need to put them all together so it makes it feel like you are in the restaurant. Or you could just buy a quarter pounder. And eat it, right? <laughs> because, well, I think it would just make you want to eat more and more and more and more. Do you think this is going to fly?
1: Do you think people are going
0: to buy... They are, aren't they? I think there's going to be that special person out there (laughs) in a quarter pounder club that's just going to absolutely adore this and scoop it all up. And yeah, I think think yes.
1: I think we're going to throw it up on the Facebook page and see what people think. If they would buy...
0: McDonald's scented candles.
1: I have to tell you, listen, I'm I love my Big Mac every once in a while, mm-hmm. but I, I'm out on the candle thing. I, I don't think I could do it.
0: I don't think I would do it either, but I do know there are
1: people out there. All right, we're going to find we're going to find out. All right, we have an amazing amazing show today. Uh, so what does the world need more of? Love.
0: Yes! Oh, I got it. Oh, <laughs> oh my god, you had the answer right it. away. This is
1: so amazing. So the queen of empathy is here today, Kim Smiley. And she's talking love, about empathy.
0: Sweet. <laughs> Even her name, Smiley. Well,
1: and honestly, she is just she literally is smiley. And she's wonderful and she's she's gonna be here because mean is out, empathy is in, and good is the new glam. I believe that. Yes, she's amazing. So self love can be a game changer. Mm-hmm. And Mm -hmm. Christy Primer from Primetime Consulting Service wants to empower women to get back in the driver's seat of their own life. So if you want to stop self-sabotaging in pursuit of your goals, uh, elevate your networking skills and grow your business, you're going to want to stick around to listen to Christy. All right. I will. Uh, making the most of family time over the spring break doesn't have to be stressful or expensive. Mama for Marine Dennis is going to be here to share some tips on fighting boredom. I and
0: love Marine Dennis. Yes, I do. She's
2: great. So yes. She joins
1: us to share her best tips to make sure that spring break goes smoothly and that you don't hear those dreaded words. I'm bored. Mom! Mm. Yeah. That's what we're trying to avoid. Mom. The lovely Anne Brody, as always, is here. And she's going to tell us what to watch and avoid at the movies this weekend. Okay. And um, she's got some really great ones to share. So definitely
0: stay Great around. ones as in good movies? Yeah, really oh, good ones good. to stay. Yeah. Oh, good.
1: Yes. And Joanne Dice from Haute Couture Academy of Fashion, Fine Arts, and Design, that's a mouthful, mm-hmm. <laughs> is here. And she is in York Region. And she's going to share how women can join her at her school to learn the basics of the design for either at-home creativity or to pursue a career in fashion.
0: I wish that she had been my home ec teacher mm-hmm. because – Somebody got E-minus in home ec. Oh. Cooking and sewing. Uh, eh, not I can't, my thing.
1: I can't sew a button. So <laughs> I, I think that this is, is it's incredible. But also, you know, she has students as young as eight and women up to 88 at her school.
0: Love it. Yeah, it's great. There's hope for us. There is.
1: There is. And finally, I have not one but two amazing Twitter parties coming up this week. So on March 3rd at 8 p.m., I am hosting a Twitter party with some Vacations. Mm-hmm. And the grand prize is a trip for two to Valentin Perla Blanca in Cuba.
0: Been there. Ah, I have
1: been there. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. And my second one is March 4th at 8 p.m. I am getting the inside scoop on tax season with TurboTax. So All right. follow me at Candice underscore DX on Twitter for mm-hmm. those two parties to join in the fun. And be f- sure to follow us on social media. Always fun. Always fun with you. At What She Said Talk on Instagram and Facebook. And the subscribe to the uh, podcast on Apple and Spotify.
0: Yay! Yay! I'm going to do it. All right it's coming. I we got to get it. Starting from
3: just spoke to a Meridian advisor about variable versus fixed rate mortgages. And they told me that
1: variable rates change based on Meridian's prime rate. Exactly. And that you could pay your mortgage down faster if Meridian's prime rate goes down. How did you know? I spoke with an advisor too. So let's get a, a Meridian v- five-year variable rate mortgage at 2.90%. Totally. totally. Apply today at meridianmortgages.ca or visit a Meridian branch. Rates subject to change
3: without notice. Some restrictions apply. 2.90% APR assumes the typical example of a new mortgage.
2: Because I'm
1: are going to get royalty on the show. This is the person we want. The queen of empathy, Kim Smiley from the Empathy Effect is joining me in the studio today to share how she's connecting people around the globe through compassion and fashion.
4: Welcome to the show, Kim. Wow. Oh my gosh, you're hired. <laughs> Do I win for that tagline? I'm giving you the crown. <laughs> I'm taking it off my head right now. and I'm giving it to you. <laughs> Thank
1: you. I, I that it's came really to me, pretty too. Came the to me at six a.m. this morning. That is
4: that's poetry.
1: <laughs> so I imagine that being called the queen of empathy uh, wasn't a title you earned overnight. Uh, so how did your journey to this point begin?
4: It's funny because a lot of people think people are like overnight successes, but this whole journey has been over 10 years in the making, and I would even say a lifetime in the making. It began as a child living in India, living in eight countries in Asia, and I think that's where I kind of found um, the seed, basically, for what I was to do 30 years later. Right. And um, basically, I'm someone who feels empathy very deeply, and it's interwoven into everything I do. And I worked in the nonprofit sector for 13 years. And then I shifted gears and started working in fashion. Right, And uh, a couple months later, launched the Empathy Effect, which was an online experiment to test whether empathy could be infectious on Facebook.
1: So I want you to tell me a little bit about that, because you were
4: right. I was right. I was really, really right. So the Empathy Effect was basically a photo blog. Every day I would post at 8 a.m. I committed to do it for a year. So I posted every day except Saturday. And I posted a photograph. I I trained with an American photojournalist named Rick Friedman who shot for Time Magazine. So I'd always loved photography. I wanted to be a journalist like you. And so I created a photo, took a photo. Sometimes I took it from the web, but generally I took the photo and wrote a very poignant story. And basically I was trying to impress upon whoever was reading the piece that empathy was everywhere. Empathy is all around us. And so every day I would share a story that was meant to transmit empathy. And on day five, the experiment went viral.
1: Wow. And so what happened when it went viral? How many people came all of a sudden to this, to your Facebook page and were participating?
4: It was like thousands upon thousands of people were coming from the darkness to the light because empathy is like a light mm-hmm. it's like a it's like a um it's a beacon it's hope right and because there's so much negativity and such a, pos- a paucity of empathy and compassion on social media i had basically lit a match in a really dark auditorium I and love that. people came like You know, they just came swarming and, you know, then we were picked up once it went viral. We were picked up by MTV and by Upworthy and by different newspapers because it was disrupting what social media is typically perceived as social media is very denigrated. People think social media is a cesspool. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to bring honor, beauty, empathy, kindness and compassion to something that is typically regarded as kind of like the height of toxicity. Right. Okay.
1: So you don't just create jewelry, you create wearable works of art. Correct. So where do you draw your inspiration for for what you design? So
4: I don't look at fashion magazines. I try never to look at uh, other designers' work because I'm very, very driven by empathy and I don't want to copy anyone. I draw my inspiration from the ancient world. My degrees are in Asian religion and philosophy and women's studies. So I draw my inspiration from ancient Greece ancient India, the Mm -hmm. sculptures of ancient India. I studied with the foremost expert in the world on iconography and art in India, Diana Eck. She was my professor at Harvard. And I draw my inspiration mostly from the goddesses in the Hindu tradition. But people say my work is also very Middle Eastern, that it looks like henna, so Mm -hmm. the Indian theme again. So I derive it from my scholarship, my academic background.
1: Right. Okay. So not a traditional fashion background at all, but you do describe yourself as a fashion activist. So what does that mean?
4: So I didn't actually coin that term. That was Global National News. Abigail Beeman is the one who thought of that and Rebecca Lindell on Global National News. So I had this huge, huge break that happened to my business. It was this unbelievable thing that happened that every designer dreams of. So in 2018, uh, Jessica Mulrooney called me and said that Sophie Gregoire Trudeau was going to India. And she had already worn my jewelry once before, Sophie. And uh, Jessica said, Sophie would like to see a, a collection mm-hmm. from you because we feel your pieces are very evocative of Asia, which, mm-hmm. as you know, my story now makes sense, right. We're very informed by India and the East. And so I basically sent Sophie Gregoire Trudeau a suitcase with about 75 pieces of jewelry and also clothes because mm-hmm. I have started to design clothes as well. Right. And I sent her one of the pieces that I sent was called the Chakra Dress. And I don't know if you, if you know this, but, but Sophie Gregoire Trudeau is a yoga teacher. Mm-hmm. And so she's very into Eastern philosophy. And what was incredible about the uh, discourse with her that we had online was that my family went to India at the same time her family. She had, this, she had three little kids, and they were the same ages that my family was when they went to India. And um, that put my company on the world stage. And she wore my jewelry, I think, six times and wore my dress to um, a zoo in mm-hmm. India. And what happened is the reporters there threw uh, a friend and client, my friend Melanie Solomon, mm-hmm. who knew a reporter that was on the India delegation, uh, told her, you know, my friend and this designer, this Canadian designer, Sophie Gregoire Trudeau, is wearing a lot of her stuff on the trip. And so it was just this incredible serendipitous moment where Global National News does story. And again, through fate or, or just like kismet or karma, I don't know, mm-hmm. the story appeared, the five-minute segment, one minute before the red carpet of the Oscars in two thousand and eight, and my web traffic went up by eleven thousand percent that day, and that was kind of wow. a that was kind of a, just like the the moment every designer is waiting for. You right. you, you kind of need a celebrity um, to endorse your yeah. your brand, and and Sophie is all heart, she's all soul. Yeah, she's into honoring the divinity in every person, and so she loved that I hired Syrian refugees. They were the ones mm-hmm. that brought that, that brought so many Syrian refugees into the country. Justin wore a pocket square that I had created for yep. him when he met the prime minister in India. Mm-hmm. It was just this incredible, incredible moment. And my seamstresses were, were even more proud of than I was. Yeah. Like they, they were the ones that called me and said, oh, my gosh, look at this. Like our dresses, our clothes That's are on amazing. global national news, like primetime. It was just like I, I was literally watching it in my living room, like jumping like my two-year-old son. Yeah. You know, it was just an incredible moment for my business.
1: That is amazing. So you, um, you have an empathy pin.
4: I do, but it's changed since the beginning. So on day 365, I launched an empathy pin. And my whole thing was that it's easy to click like and it's easy to click share, but it's different to be a slacktivist, which is a click or a share versus an activist. So you asked me about empathy activism. So I wanted to create something that would be a impetus and a catalyst for people to practice acts of empathy. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to be an armchair empath right Right. but to actually go ahead and do something about it is something entirely different so I created a pin it was made out of metal it was called the empathy pledge hashtag empathy pledge Mm -hmm. and on day 365 of the empathy effect my partner's dream vision and I launched a very short little film Mm -hmm. that featured all the people from the empathy effect or like maybe 65 of the people from the empathy effect and we launched this pin and 100% of the money went to um, an organization called High Lifeline which was the organization that supported Matthew Morton's family, day five of the Empathy Effect, right. which is the day that the Empathy Effect went viral. So everything was like this big, Full, gorgeous karmic circle. circle yeah. right? And But now we've just come out with a new Empathy pin that is actually made by the Syrian women that work with me. And it's sterling silver and pearl on a bed of lace. So it kind of looks like the Order of Canada, but it's Kim Smiley style. It's $20 a pin and 100% goes to spreading empathy so we we are a nonprofit, mm-hmm. but we charge to teach empathy because mm-hmm. even nonprofits have to make yes. money yeah. um I learned that this year this year I'm like all about abundance and when you have two of the pins they're a set of earrings oh wonderful so um so that's our new empathy pledge pin okay do you
1: like it I do I love it so where can people find out more about you then
4: kimsmiley.com Okay. Thank you so much for joining us in the studio today. It's an honor to meet you. Thank you. And thank you, Eric M., for setting this all yeah, up. Yeah,
1: no kidding. So, okay. So thank you so much for joining us this week. Go forth and be empathetic, everybody. You can find us on social on uh, what she said whatshesaidtalk on Instagram and Facebook, and you can subscribe on uh, Apple and Spotify for our podcast. <laughs>
4: going to stand by
0: you stick around more what she said with Candace Sampson coming up on 1059 the region
1: Christy Primer is a Canadian author, TV show host of Women Who Lead, and a registered mental health counselor. Christy founded her company, Primetime Consulting Services, in 2011 and is here to inspire us all to embrace our greatness and chase after our dreams with passion and purpose. Welcome to the show, Christy.
5: Hi, Candace. Thanks for having me. I am so excited
1: to have you here. I've been following you on Instagram. Yeah, that's stalking, stalking you a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, so you, you say that creating your best life is about Aligning with your core values. So tell me, tell me what that means.
5: Yeah. So in my experience, personal and professional, it's hard to create your best life. That's that's like the common saying these days. But what does it mean? Right. Well, what it means is you're aligned with who you are, what your desires are, and what you value most. So you can actually create your life around those. Mm-hmm. So. So I think I think part
1: of the struggle for women is actually finding out what those are what are those core values
5: yeah well in primetime success my first book i write about um everything from spiritual down to physical mental health emotional like i break it down in a structure so women can start exploring different categories and finding out what do they cherish most is it family is it work like there's no right or wrong and part of what I I want women to know is our core values can be whatever they are for us. There's no right or wrong, right? Right. It's not dictated, it's discovered.
1: And, you know, also, I love that, by the way, not dictated. Not I love that. That's so great. But also, I think, you know, as we age and go through stages in our lives, those things are going to change for us as well, right? So it's it's important to identify uh, when those change and not struggle with that, because I think we go, oh, it's not my children anymore, you, you know, and then we feel bad.
5: Yes. You know, it's funny you say that. So well, I'm almost an empty nester. My son's heading off to college. And I went through my own book, actually, and reevaluated my values because I'm always going to be mom. I'm yeah. always going to love being mom. But now I'm in a different season. And now I have to look at what is really pertinent in my life and what has shifted in my values. And there's some non-negotiables like my source connection, my, my husband, my family, my marriage. But that's also work. Mm-hmm. And some of my values are freedom. Having freedom, time freedom, money freedom, living the life I want. So that's a value that's non-negotiable. But yeah, you're right. They shift, right? Seasons in life Mm -hmm. make us shift our values.
1: Right. And so something else you said, you know, because I am the queen of I'm sorry. I say I will apologize for apologizing. I will also go, oh, I'm sorry. And the people say, you don't have to say, say you're sorry. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so you say that this is, what is this doing to women?
5: I believe that every time we apologize for something that doesn't merit an apology, we deplete our self-esteem. And I think I always look at um, my clients, the male clients I work with, and I work with some amazing men. They're not sitting around saying, sorry. You know, women will go into the grocery store. We want to get past someone with our cart. Oh, sorry. Why? Sorry is something that should be reserved for um, a meaning when when you actually need to apologize or you want to apologize, not for existing. And I feel like it depletes our self-esteem when we use sorry 100 times a day. 500 times a day I mean it's something we have to get conscious of
1: yeah it's being cognizant of the language you're using yes. right because when you say sorry for something that doesn't merit it then you're you're actually diminishing it
5: yes. the meaning of
1: it yes so yeah so you're right when you're in the grocery store you say excuse me
5: Yeah. <laughs> I've been in the boardroom with women before I had my own company and they'd be like oh sorry I want to ask a question it's like excuse me Please don't apologize for wanting to have some input and ask a question. You're just as valuable here as the men at the table. So I think that's something that you're right. We need to be more cognizant of and really pay attention to when we're using that language.
1: So you talk about women getting back into the driver's seat of their own lives. Yes. I love that metaphor, by the way, because I love driving. i got a seriously heavy foot, and this is how I picture me going through my life, as
5: speeding. <laughs> vroom, vroom. <laughs> Not for Mazda, just, just for your own life. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So how do you think women, how do you encourage women to get back into the driver's seat?
5: Yeah, so I think it goes back with getting clear on your values, and then looking at what kind of life do you want to have. Women tend to ask other people for permission to make decisions that we... We get to make for ourselves. And part of getting back in the driver's seat is owning your choices, um, not waffling between what someone thinks you should do and what you want to do, really getting clear on who you are, what you want, and then taking that action towards your goals with intention.
1: So you um, say that women need to step into their fierce feminine power. Yes. <laughs> so what has been your experience with, when women connect with this inner power? What's, what's sort of the success you've seen?
5: Yeah, well, I can speak for myself. Um, years ago, I was a single mother and I found myself caught up in the masculine. Do, 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 do. And, and we all have masculine and feminine energy. It's not about being male or female, just to be clear. And what's, what I've seen in myself and also thousands of clients over the years, when women actually step back and let themselves receive and own their femininity and not feel ashamed for being a woman. I mean, I hate to say that, but that's really what it comes down to. Everything shifts for them. You know, there's no right or wrong. But I feel like a lot of women, especially career driven women like I have been, we tend to compete with our male counterparts. And... We lose that femininity along the way because we're push, push, push. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But what I teach women to do is to just slow down, step into who they are, own that intuition that we have, which comes from feminine energy and power, and make decisions from a conscious place. So
1: Yeah, so you don't have to be the... Um... You know, the mirror image of the male, your male counterpart. You yeah. just need to be yourself yeah. to, and probably you'll be much more successful when that happens, right? Yeah.
5: And I know for me, before I had my own company, I was competing against a lot of different males. And I felt like I had to do 10 times more work to be recognized. So what
1: did you do before this then?
5: So I've always been in public education, counseling, that type of thing. But before I got really serious into that, I was a supervisor at an organization, healthcare organization. And although it was supervising like PSWs and homemakers and RPNs, a lot of the decision makers were men. Uh, Most of the staff were female or women. And I really struggled at that time being young, starting out being young. Yes, I was well educated, but it was like I would put my hand up and I was overlooked. And add that to being a single mom at the time, I really was in my masculine energy. Now, I didn't know that then. This is something I've discovered in the last decade, but really trying to be heard from a place of not aggression, but over assertion wasn't working. So
1: did you have one of those like you know, Oprah talks about these a lot on a hot moment where you I went, did. Yeah, tell I me, did. tell me
5: about it. I love those moments. I actually um my now husband, we were dating and I would always be go 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 and I remember one time he said to me, "You're not even present." Like you're working, like you don't like just put your phone away, put your scheduling book away. I was in charge of scheduling. If you've ever scheduled a team, it's not it's not desirable at times. And I remember just having this moment when I was like, what am I pushing for? I'm not getting paid more. I'm taking away from time with my son because he was very young at the time. And it's affecting my relationship. So it was, like a, it was like an aha moment for me where I was like, I can do this a different way in a better way. So. I love that. And I've never looked back. So. Amazing.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. truly inspiring. I love when women embrace those moments and then make something of it. You yes. just don't go, aha, and then don't change anything. Yes. You went, aha, and changed it all. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about that, though, because some women do get stuck.
5: So I feel very strongly that stuck is a decision. It's not a destination. And I feel like we spin on the hamster wheel sometimes for years. I myself have been guilty of that. So it's not finger pointing. It's just... Being aware of our choices and being stuck as a choice. And some people hear that and they're like, no, 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 but this, this and this. And I get it. I get it. When we make decisions from a place of being in the driver's seat of our own lives, we are accountable for them. But we also take the action to get unstuck. Right. There's so much life on the other side of being stuck, stuck in a marriage, stuck in a job, stuck in a so any situation that's not mm-hmm. You know, beneficial, maybe it's toxic.
1: Well I think I think for the most part what keeps us stuck is our fear. Yeah, absolutely. Of what's on the other side. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Okay. So You've you've been amazing. I we have to have you back because I think we could talk forever. I think
5: so. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Good energy. Uh,
1: I think we'll do a longer 30 minute podcast sometime <laughs> yeah. uh, with you about this because it is a subject that I think is so important to women. And I know so many women personally yeah. who are going through this. Absolutely. So but for now, for listeners at home, if they want to learn more and they want to talk to you and they want to get into the driver's seat. Where do they go?
5: Um, I'm really, really active on the gram, Instagram at Christy underscore Primer. My um, primetimecs dot is my website. Uh, my books are available over Amazon and Indigo, and uh, my next book will be all over forty thousand stores. It's published through a division of Hay House. Amazing! And uh, just reach out. I, I read my DMs. It's me. They get me uh, <laughs> answering, not my team. So that's. I'd love to connect.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Candace. Join. Us now for Saturday Night at the Movies is film critic Ann Brody. And Ann, I was on the edge of my seat watching all of the movies you sent me this week. So let's get to it. I sent you clips, not movies. I know, I know. I'm not allowed to send you movies. All right, let's let's make sure we we don't get anybody confused. I only saw the clips. (laughs) Yeah, what'd you think? Yeah, actually I want to see them all because they all look so great. great. So that's what I'm really excited about this week's show. So let's get to it. All right, well, disappearance at
3: Clifton Hall is a big celebration in Canada. Okay. It's all set in Niagara Falls, sort of a tacky Niagara Falls of a few years ago, maybe. And it won a number of kudos during TIFF. So it's, it's a weirdest damn thing, too. That's what makes it so appealing. It's Albert Shin who wrote and directed it. It's something that actually happened to him in Niagara Falls when he was little. So what it is, is two sisters reunite, Tuppence Middleton and Hannah Gross, who's Paul's daughter. When their mother dies, and they inherit her diner, And being back there sparks the memory in Tuppence Middleton's character of something she saw when she was young. She witnessed a crime, and it's all coming back to her now. It's like she repressed it this whole time, a crime against a child. So she dives in to start investigating it. Then, at the same exact time, across the Niagara River in the States, we have a circus act of a husband and wife and a big tiger and... uh, <laughs> it's weird. It is so weird. And Marie Jose Croz is the okay. is the performer. Um, without giving much away, let me just say that there's a big connection between the two sides of the border. Okay.
1: Okay. <laughs> uh, so Jane Austen. Uh, always a favorite, and Emma. Yes, and this right. looked really good. Well, oh, no. I did not like it. I oh. thought it was rather leaden. It's
3: beautiful to look at, and did you see well, that's the costume? I think that's what I was drawn to, and the, and the homes and the yeah. gardens. Oh, it's just a delight seeing it. It's it's a weak rendition. There have been so many Austin films put to uh, books put to film. But this didn't really cut it for me, even though it stars Anya Taylor-Joy, who I really liked in The Witch and other things. Okay. Uh, so she, Emma, as you know, is, is like a big shot in her town. She does all the matchmaking. She's high-born, but she looks after people of all classes. Um, but what she's really doing is testing these men for herself. And, but the thing is, she is so powerful and so haughty that she's very off-putting in her, her seeming manipulation of people. So is there hope for Emma to find love? That's a big question. I mean, we know it. Just look it up in Wikipedia.
1: But... <laughs> yeah, we know the answer. <laughs> okay, so this one really surprised me because um, Kristen Stewart from, uh, what were those vampire- Twilight. Twilight, yes. Yeah. I've always found her sort of a... Uh, with not a lot of range as an actress but apparently she's in this one I beg to differ well I was just going to say so in this one she's getting rave reviews called Seberg
3: yeah she did a really really good one set in Guantanamo Bay as a prison guard okay she's phenomenal Uh, she has that sort of her mouth doesn't really move a lot but she really brings it. And in Seberg, she plays um, Jean Seberg, who was an American who became a huge star in France in the 60s as one of the big faces of the Nouvelle Vogue movement. So she, she came back to the States once and uh, allied herself closely with the Black Panther movement. She gave money. She had an affair with one of the higher-ups. So the FBI began to investigate her. Not only did they surveil her constantly – They printed lies about her. They had gossip columnists, friendly gossip columnists, rip her to shreds in the media, and it took a big toll on her mentally. So this was part of J. Edgar Hoover's... Yeah, uh, you you bet it is. Right. Yeah. So um, it was... Kristen Stewart is really good as Seaberg. Now, I didn't know that much about Seaberg beyond the Nouvelle Vogue thing, but a very interesting character destroyed by the FBI, basically. Mm -hmm. So it's really good to see. Also, the 60s uh,
1: design vibe is so strong. It's beautiful. Okay. So the other one you had in here that I loved was Breeders. And it's so wrong. He's uh, it, Martin Freeman and Daisy,
3: whatever her name is, they play <laughs> husband and wife. They have, no, they're not married, but they're, they've been together for many, many years. And they have two kids under seven. They're both careerists, so they're like constantly on edge, constantly uh, tired. And he says things like, you know, I would die for my children, but sometimes when I think of murdering them, I wonder which duvet to use. <laughs>
1: I, I thought it was so funny because I think a lot of parents could see themselves in these scenarios. Right? It seemed very real and very um, raw. So very I, raw. Yeah.
3: It's not, as I say in my review over on our website, it's not father knows best, but it's about a million times funnier. I mean, you cannot believe the things that they say. And on top of all their woes, her father, played by Michael McKean, moves in. He's excellent. And too, he yeah. turns he turns everything upside down. Even right. more so. Honest to God, it's so great. I wish I had time to watch the whole series.
1: Yeah, I think, I think I'm going to put this one on my must-watch list because girl. it looked great. Uh, then you had um, The Split. So oh, that's... That. <laughs> well, here we go. <laughs> so this is what happens after you're a breeder.
3: That's <laughs> you, right. And you breeder. split. <laughs> By the way, is a derogatory term about straight people who, who, who procreate. But um, so Nicola Walker, who I really, really like. She can do anything. British actress. She is in a family law firm, all her family, all female. But she moves across the hallway to join a firm run by a guy who I think has his sights on her. So there's all kinds of stories going on because it's a soap opera behind the scenes and whatever. But the most interesting thing to me was at a table, you have the husbands and wives who are divorcing. And they're, they're discussing what they want and they're fighting. And one guy just tells her right there for the first time. She didn't know that's why they were there. My heart stopped in- when I watched that clip. Uh, right, yeah. It is so raw again. But it's set in a kind of soap opera vibe. So it's a bit softer. But still, you can't believe what you're seeing and how these people treat each other. And then um, one of the divorced women finds her friend who's middle-aged has had middle-aged breast implants and the reason for that's pretty damn shocking.
1: Oh, okay. And then we have uh quickly here we have like 30 seconds. Uh what's what do you think the must-watch is this week? Uh
3: the must the must-watch would be i'm going to say breeders mm-hmm. it's way too funny it looks so good yeah i can't <laughs>
1: yeah. wait to watch it all right thank you so much ann <laughs> so welcome. we have more uh, more up at what she said talk.com and ann will be joining us next week with more hey! You're
6: just like you,
0: Have a story for what she said? Email us at 1059theregion.com. Who says
6: you're
5: the only one me,
1: the The Haute Couture Academy of Fashion, Fine Arts and Design is the only private. Art School in Vaughan and York Region that not only offers a wide variety of courses in the fashion and fine arts areas of education, but more specifically, they are the very first school in York Region to focus on university and college portfolio preparation in each and every detailed aspect of the fashion, fine arts, and related industry fields. Joining us today is owner and designer Joanne Dice. Welcome to the show, Joanne. Hi, thank you. I am so excited to have you. So tell me a little bit about how you got into fashion design.
6: Oh, my goodness. Um, I can't ever remember not fashion designing or at least sewing. Um, My very earliest memories as, believe it or not, a toddler, like three years old. Yeah, I don't remember a lot because who does? But... I my earliest memories are literally with a sewing needle in my hand and sewing buttons all over my mother's drapes. <laughs> what else can a three-year-old do? But you know, so oh, I don't clothes. know. A three-year-old could do a lot well, more yeah. damage than that.
4: That's yeah, amazing. yeah. I
6: wanted I wanted to put you know beautiful buttons because in the old days we didn't just throw our clothes in the in you know in, in Goodwill or whatever. We would remove all the buttons, we removed all the zippers for reuse. And my mother had these tins, like huge tins of buttons, and I would sew them on everything. So and your
1: mother obviously was a, was a seamstress as well. No, not really. She was just a
6: home sewer. Basic okay. skills. My grandmother was, okay. and my aunt was as well. So. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I was always trying to sell stuff for my dolls, my Barbies, things like that.
1: Okay. So, so you started young and then did you, did you pursue this as a, did.
6: a career? I did. I did. So I went to Sheridan College in Oakville, the fashion program there, which is sadly no longer a program there. Um, but it was an amazing program at the time. And at the time when I went, and I'm going to be dating myself, it was one of the best programs in, considered in Canada for design. Um, and uh, then I worked in the industry for many years. Um, I taught at the Toronto Board of Ed as well, and um, you know there was kids coming to me constantly looking for something more and And I realized that there's a really big niche market here where kids need a lot of help, specifically for fashion, because it's so much more than just sewing um and the school was kind of like my little brainchild at the time, and slowly, slowly it started to grow and as my family grew, I was able to devote more of my time into the school and now it's 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 quite it's quite big so how many years have you been around then um I've I've been teaching, I've had the school for um I would say about 23 years. Wow. Yeah, but I've been teaching for about 25, 26 years, but I've been designing for Oh, gosh, now everyone's going to know how old I am for about 30 years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we will not tell anybody how old good, you are. <laughs> good, good,
6: good. <laughs> okay, I, actually, I'm really proud of my age because it's all the experience and everything Absolutely. that goes with it. That's right. So you say you specialize in all aspects of the fashion industry. That's correct. Okay, so what does that entail? Okay, so when people, again, when they think fashion, they just think sewing. But the the reality is if you actually want to be a designer and you want to go to university, you should already know how to sew mm-hmm. because to be able to... Design. You have to have knowledge of pattern making. You have to have very extensive knowledge of sewing, um, and to design within the industry, say for mass production, you have to have the, um you have to be able to um, very professionally use Photoshop, um, um, uh, Photoshop, like the Adobe suite of Photoshop mm-hmm. and Illustrator. Um, there's AutoCAD. There's um, um, the illustration, and a lot of people think it's just fashion illustration, but you actually have to be an artist in order to be able to design. So there's so much. So stick more training. people don't pass. Stick
1: people don't pass. Oh, no, oh, but I'm already out, so I can't sew a button. And I and I can. I'm you like can I, learn. I max out at stick people. <laughs>
6: you actually, it's funny because a lot of students come to us drawing stick people, and they leave drawing really, really well. And it's if you do it enough and you develop your muscle memory and your retina memory, you'd be surprised what you can do. With an hour a day of practice, proper instruction, you'd be surprised what It's you like can do. anything in life, right? It's like if, anything.
1: Right. Yeah. The more time into it, the better yeah. you're going to get yeah. at it. Exactly. Okay. So what is, what is portfolio prep then?
6: Portfolio prep um, – is um, well, kids have to put portfolios in for the universities. Um, some colleges still require it. I know that um, the universities worldwide, almost all of them require big portfolios. And students have to put together portfolios that consist of garments that they've made, preferably that they've designed. The difference between sewing a garment and designing garments is about five years of school. Mm. And this is to get into the university. So if anyone who thinks that they're going to go to university to learn how to sew... They're incorrect. You have to be sewing very advanced before you really you can even get expect- into it. Well, depending on what the what the like how many kids are applying, let's say, and and how many students they they can take, you can get some schools that they'll take or accept thousands of portfolios and accept maybe two hundred and fifty students, and then the attrition rate from that when the students get into university can depending on the institution can be as high as 75%. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 not cuz these kids aren't talented or mm-hmm. I keep saying kids but everyone's kids to me. But it's really just because they haven't been trained properly. So So you're you're really giving them a leg up for this next step, right? This next
1: phase. And are there a lot of universities in Canada that have this fashion program? There's only
6: one university in Canada. Okay. Um, um, Can we say the name? Sure. Uh, Ryerson. Ryerson University offers a degree in design. There are a lot of colleges that offered the diplomas. Um, I know that in BC there's a... Is a newer school. I believe it's it's quite new. It's KPU, Kwantlen Polytechnical Institute. But that's like a two year I think they've just started making it into a degree. Originally it was a two year program and then a secondary two year diploma program. I think now they're just making a degree, but don't quote me on that. But I mean you have one on the East End, one East Coast, one on the West Coast basically. So a lot of our students go internationally. They go to usually the top one of the top ten schools in the world, and wow. we get those kids in. Love like, it. Yeah, it's they're hard to get in, but we get them in.
1: So yeah. you're not just though you're not just for people who want to create runway looks. No, you're for anybody who's interested in fashion. Yeah, right. So yeah. tell me about the diversity of your student body. Sort of, what's the youngest? What's the oldest?
6: <laughs> okay, the youngest students we take are grade two. The oldest oh. are. Eighty, eighty-two, eighty-five. We've had, I've had I've had a ninety-year-old once. So there's hope for me. Yeah, I may actually be everybody. able to sew
1: a button sometime. Yeah, okay, yeah, this is yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. And
6: not everybody <laughs> wants to be a designer either. Like a right. lot of people just want to learn how to make nice clothes for themselves.
1: Right, and yeah. it's frustrating even just for myself because I, I I mean I don't you can't tell on the air but I am super short, and uh, <laughs> and I'm very tall. I cannot find jeans to fit me for the life of me. No, and I can't think of how much money I've spent in alteration uh, alteration fees.
6: I should really just learn how to yeah. you know, that would save me a gazillion dollars. It would actually it would save you a lot of money. I'm I'm very tall. I'm just shy of 6 feet. And that's not why I learned to sew, but I was very blessed in the sense that I love doing this. I can't go into a store and buy I don't have a, I don't have a choice of, you know, a 100 different stores to look at. There's like maybe one store for tall people or some stores have a small selection of clothes for tall people, but what if I want an evening gown or what if I want, like, you know, and I'm multi-sized. Most women don't come in perfect sizes. Mm-hmm. And to have that ability to sew, that's just a life skill. Right. You know, and I honestly, I don't know anybody. It gives anybody you a freedom
1: who, with fashion as absolutely. well. Absolutely,
6: And you can be creative. You can be unique with what you want to wear. And I don't know if you guys have noticed, but a lot of stores have been closing down lately mm. because of the online presence. But. Even still, when you look from store to store, the clothes are basically just the same things in different colors. Yeah, I agree. Yeah.
1: So um, what makes your
6: visual arts program so unique? Well, number one, our instructors are actual designers. They're industry proven designers. They don't just, you know, work full time, say in an office and, you know, and then come in and teach design. These are people with backgrounds, degrees in design, they work in the in, in their actual industry, whether they're graphic designers or fashion designers, professional artists, they're actually making a living in their industry and they're teaching part-time. Um, there's that. Plus our classes are very small um, and everything that we do gears specifically towards the design industry that that student is trying to pursue. So if it's a fashion industry, for example, and say we're teaching an acrylic class. Well, we're not – like it's more about the subject matter. So, I mean, if you're taking an acrylic class, there's always tons of landscapes and stuff like that. We're doing the kinds of projects that are going to develop them more specifically for their industry. Okay. Because acrylic is just a medium. Uh, gouache, oil, they're just mediums. Um, what you're doing with it and how you're applying it is really what makes it more specific. Um, and we tailor-make all our classes. So we can have a class, say – Um, Again, I'm going to use acrylic as an example, but it doesn't mean that all the kids are doing the same painting. Everyone's doing something very unique, and our teachers will walk from student to student to student, and work with them versus having 30 people in a class and you're all painting the same old boring painting. Right. You know, so we we really customize it more. So it's more exciting for the student that way, too. I love it.
1: Okay. So I fell down a little bit of a rabbit hole last night going on your site. So I encourage <laughs> anybody to go and check it out. So where can they find more about you? Because you just
6: have so much on there. Oh, gosh, we do so much fashion shows. We have yep. summer educational programs in Italy. Um, our students are actually working backstage in, in Rome Fashion Week. We've been doing this for years. This summer, our students are going to be showcasing in a special student section their collections in Realm Fashion Week. Amazing. And we do this through um, um, the Toronto North Couture. Um, yeah. And um, this woman puts it together for me, Linda Vercello, And this program she puts together for us in Italy is amazing. And um, it's all on our website. Amazing. So your yeah. website is where? It's, um, oh my gosh, I have to <laughs> think. It's hcfashionarts.ca. Okay. Wonderful. And if they want to find you on social media? Um, we're on Instagram and it's HC Academy of Fashion Arts. Wonderful. On Instagram. And then we're on Facebook and Twitter as well. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much, Joanne. Thank you. <laughs>
1: Spring break, it's coming, parents. And before you know it, you'll be in panic mode because what on earth are you going to do with these kids? Never fear, mom of four, Maureen Dennis is here to share her tips on planning a boredom-free memory-making March break this year. Welcome to the show, Maureen. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you here because I know you are
2: a bit of an expert. You have how many kids? I have four kids. They're eight, 10, 14, and 16. So your March breaks are busy. We've, we've done almost everything you can think of on a March break, from road trips to staycations to more elaborate trips, uh, you know, faraway places. So, yeah, from babies to teenagers, I've, I've done it all, man. <laughs> You've got it covered. So let's
1: get to the two words every parent hears uh, and hates hearing.
2: I'm bored. Exactly. So the key to not hearing those words is actually communicating as a family before you start March break. You want to have that sort of communication to go, okay, so we've got this time and it could be that you're staying around and kids are going to activities or daycare during the day, but you still want to have some fun. So maybe you're doing evening things or weekend things, or maybe you're taking the whole time or an extended time and planning an amazing vacation. So whatever you're doing, sit down as a family and figure out what everybody would really love to do on that break so that when you get to it, you're actually making sure everybody in the family is happy with how they had their vacation. Right. And you must deal with a little bit, have to deal with a little bit of
1: compromise because you your oldest is 16 and your youngest is seven?
2: Eight. 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 Yeah.
1: So that's, that's a bit of a difference in an age gap. So there has to be some compromise as well going into it, I would imagine, with those big age gaps in a family. So a lot of parents can't whisk their kids away on an all-inclusive holiday, right? So how can families make a staycation just as memorable and fun as if they had been gone away to the Caribbean?
2: Absolutely. So it's looking at, again, what everybody wants to do. Is there a restaurant that you haven't tried out yet? Maybe there's a new food that they would be like really excited about. Um, exploring or, you know, it's as simple as maybe even bringing out some after dinner trivia and get some conversations going and everybody putting their screens away and having some fun that way. Right. Okay. I love it. So you think parents and kids should be playing together more. Uh, So what are some of the activities you suggest for that? Well, it could be anything. It's just remembering to not over schedule. And if you're dealing with infants and toddlers, you want to be really respectful of their schedule. And we kind of forget that with teens as well. Um, I don't know. You, you have, you have uh, two older girls. Um, my teens are not morning people. So <laughs> if I'm dragging them out of bed for a morning adventure, it's going to be a very different experience if on their birthday, some time to relax and chill out, and then maybe going on an afternoon or evening um, adventure as a family, no matter what you're doing whether it's on vacation, um, away, or at home. Right, okay, wonderful. So what are some great ways for families to get together and
1: create sort of a nut on hands, making memories using your hands and being creative
2: that way? Well, the easiest one is to get into the kitchen. Um, and I know if you're a mom like me, that mess is sort of my first hesitation is like, oh my gosh, if I let them go loose in the kitchen, I'm going to be cleaning it up for the rest of the day. But it is really important to let them have that creativity, make the mess. We can clean it up. It's fine. You know, put, set them up in an area that is actually washable. (laughs) I'm saying this is not a living room activity, right? (laughs) Um, and then, and then let that go it can be cleaned up and it's fine and that messiness and that creativity is really important it also gives them a lot of independent skills we want our kids to be able to cook things we want them to be able to be self-sufficient um one of our favorites is actually a really easy quick one and that is great for when you're on the go are these california prune uh power balls and they're no bake so they're great for little kids to get involved because you're not using any you're not using any heat or anything and they can do them themselves and they're kind of a fun tactile um uh, recipe so you just take California prunes, and these are moist and rich and sweet. And they, um, you mix them with ingredients. You can go to CaliforniaPrunes.ca or on my website to get the recipe. And you're gonna roll them. You mix them in the in the food processor, and you're gonna roll them into balls. And that's really fun for the kids, right? right. You can even roll them in coconut. And so they're a sweet treat that I actually keep in and super healthy. So when as a parent, you're grabbing one to eat one, you should because they're actually really good. For oh, I love, for your I love gut those. health. Yeah. yeah, your bone health, especially as you know, uh, moms and our bone health is really important as it is for the kids. So it's an all around family friendly recipe that gets started in the kitchen and then takes you all the way through your adventures.
1: Okay, amazing.
2: And I see you've got Skittles there. What are you doing with these? So this is a Skittles rainbow. And actually my girls found this um, when we were away on March break. We, we love to go on Airbnbs and things. So we always have a kitchen and a house. And so even though we were away, they still find fun like this. And I love it when they bring in sort of this little bit of stem where there's some science and um, some exploring involved. So what they, what you do is you take Skittles and you can make any pattern you want on a, usually a white plate would be the easiest. And then literally you just pour in water. And the color comes out of the Skittles and makes this rainbow. Okay. So you can have conversations with the kids and be like, so how long do you think it's going to take for the colors to get to the middle? Why do you think the colors are coming off the candies and going out? Right. And, um, and, and it's really fun.
1: And then you get to eat them at the end. So- Exactly.
2: All good. Okay, so this is so- having all those fun and creative things that are really simple, really inexpensive. You can do them at home, um, and they don't take a lot of time. So if you're hard pressed for thinking, okay, I want to make this March break fun, but I'm still working full time every day. How am I going to do this? This is right. really easy things you can do. So you have a lot more suggestions up. Uh, where um, you can follow me on all the, all the social media channels at Ms. Maureen Dennis, and my website is wewelcome.ca. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of fun things that we can do. You can do everything from, say, if you're going away, doing some twinning. I went away with my daughter and we actually planned out some inexpensive twin outfits, which that's yep. only something you can do till a certain age. <laughs> a yeah, my kids will not twin with me. not going to work with the done. teens.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, amazing. Exactly.
2: These are some things you got to do, right?
1: <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much, Maureen. It was great having you on. We'll have you back again.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much.
1: That's it for What She Said Today. We'll be back again next Saturday at noon, right here on 1059The Region. Be sure to follow us on social media at What she Said Talk and have a great weekend. It, it. Make it, make it
0: Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059Theregion.com.